Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. boy this is gonna be fun Uh, some of you are probably still listening on podcast please keep doing that but we're also officially on youtube on youtube where you can can see see us us. you can see mom looking like madonna she got on and i said what is that (laughs) my very old headset but hey it works yeah it's a microphone i said you you need headphones and a microphone you look totally official official yes all I have is Aiden's Aiden's headphones, so this they have like a sticker better. ball sticker, sticker ball sticker, <laughs> soccer ball stickers, and like <laughs> stickers on the side of your headphones. Yeah, so cool. Okay, so this is episode one hundred and thirty-two of Killer Hangover. Holy guacamole! And Beth, and I am Bettina. Those watching us on YouTube, we've never done this. We've been doing it for our Patreon for a little while now, but kind of venturing into the unknown. So please be patient. <laughs> There will be bloopers. We are not perfect at all. <laughs> I have, I'm like nervous. I'm like playing with my paper like a kid in school. I, 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 I have the true crime. Mom has the paranormal and the cocktail. What are you drinking? I made the devil and disguised. So not the devil in disguise. Okay. It's I was the devil ask. and disguise. And it comes from recipe dot time so com okay <laughs> Just, it'll be posted in our links okay our website sounds good <laughs> so, so what kind of cocktail is this well this is it says milligrams but it's like two ounces okay so 60 milligrams okay. of vodka a dash of lime juice i used a real lime eight basil leaves So I went out and bought a plant yesterday, a basil plant, so I could use the basil leaves. One and a half cups of pomegranate seeds. I got the ones that are already seeded. And 30 milligrams of just a splash of sugar syrup. What is sugar syrup? You can make it. it. It's like a... It's sugar and water and you stir it and it kind of makes a syrupy thing. But I used agave. I was just going to say, you could do, okay. I used agave. So step one, mix all the ingredients in a cocktail shaker with ice cubes. Mix, 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 shake, shake, shake. Okay. Then you pour it, you know, strain it into one of these glasses. A martini glass? Yeah. For those not watching. (laughs) Oh yeah. A martini glass. Sorry. (laughs) And then it says, this is why I like this cocktail. Garnish the cocktail the way you like and serve immediately. Well, the the way way we like like it is no garnish. (laughs) Garnish. So perfect. So cheers. That's perfect. Cheers. Whoops, I got to move my. (laughs) Madonna forgot to move her headphone. Oh, it's okay. 
how can I say this correctly? You have to like basil. Hey, basil and the, pomegranate. Does that go good together? Does that go basil well is really pro prominent. It's delicious. It's it's er herbally. You know, it's not sweet. For those of you who like sweet drinks, this may not be up your alley. But boy, you can taste the basil. It's delicious. It is really, really good. Okay. And look, it's healthy too. You can have several of these. I'm just saying. Okay. Well, <laughs> sorry, I'm not joining you. I'm I'm joining. I'm enjoying my coffee. Okay. Uh, we still have about what two months before I pop this baby out. So. Yeah. Looking forward to sharing those cocktails with you all then. Me too. <laughs> So I'm on tired, a rating scale of drinking alone, what would you rate this cocktail? Like we've had so many on this show and somebody I asked know. us, we should start some kind of a rating. Uh, is it, I don't even know how you would do the rating because there's so many different ones. Are we doing a five star rating kind of sure, thing? Sure. Okay. I would rate this three and a half. Okay. I mean, it, it's really good, but again, you need pomegranates and you need... Kind of threw um, me with the herbally taste. I don't know um, if I'm a fan of the herbally taste. But you got the sweet too. Yeah. With the pomegranate, the splash of uh, lime juice just kind of brings it all together. Yeah. that You know, any cocktail that has that lime juice, we've already talked, we've talked about this so many times. Is it... It just cuts, ties it together. Yeah, it does. And it cuts so. on any bitterness of alcohol or anything like that. I don't taste the vodka at all see then i would rate it higher because those kind of drinks i like i i like because you feel like well it would definitely i mean it tastes like a four <laughs> but you do have to have a lot of ingredients i mean yeah. you know like you don't have things, things you don't on have on hand. hand gotcha so that's why i'm putting it three and a half gotcha okay well uh if you hear pitter powder of little feet like i am hearing right now we did have a snow day today so yeah but i don't hear them okay well good <laughs> Let's just hope the pitter-patter stays a pitter-patter and not jumping and <laughs> something else. They're supposed to be eating lunch and then watching their movie. <laughs> They're five and seven. We will see. <laughs> oh, sweet boys. They played outside in the snow, though, for like two and a half, almost three hours until a snowball fight started. And the snow went into Nolan's hoodie. <laughs> oh, no. And so he came up and he's like, I'm just so cold. And I'm like, you are soaking wet. <laughs> so we stripped him down. We put PJs on. We put the fireplace on. And they played with toys the rest of the morning. They were out there like 9 a.m. So <laughs> nice. Kick them out. Yeah. It was Fresh air never hurt anyone. Great. Okay. True All crime. Right. I'm ready. I'm beyond excited to share the story with you guys. Uh, beyond excited. Do you have any hint of what I'm doing? No. I know you kind of, like, we have an attached Google Docs. So did you see my notes or anything? I'm just so always curious. If no, I, because I accidentally, no, I never do. I might accidentally <laughs> open it because I'm trying to mm. open different things. I don't care. I don't care if you look. But I never read it. Because that's just not fun for me then when you're reading it for ha <laughs> having already read it. That's true. New uh, presentation. I'm excited. Okay. Today's true crime story is a st story in a story. Okay. I really didn't know how I wanted to start this because uh, I thought going into this, the story was going to be very straightforward. 
It's one mm-hmm. that you've heard. It's one I've heard. It's one our listeners have heard. Thought it was going to be very straightforward. I was so wrong. I was oh. so wrong. I'm covering someone I've known. Like I said, you've known. <laughs> we know them, huh? Well, not personally. <laughs> this was like a long time ago. We don't know them. They've been dead for a very long time. Diving into this research, I learned that this guy has just been sensationalized mm. so much. It's been dramatized. I, I, I mean, in movies, and I don't mean just in Hollywood movies. I mean, like, even back what it happened in 1893. Oh. Let's just put it this way. The chief of police that was put in charge of this investigation, <laughs> he was a flower and feed dealer. Just a few months before this investigation, he had no law enforcement law enforcement experience. That was hard to say. I don't know why. Uh, he had no investigative experience. He was hired purely for political reasons. Just oh yeah. And while he was leading this investigation, he invited the media to come along with him. <laughs> we kind of like why not? And this was during the yellow journalism era. Do you know what that mm-hmm. is? Yeah, but we spoke about it when we talked about the Black Dahlia. That's exactly right. So the yellow journalism era, for those that don't know, is essentially a style of newspaper reporting that emphasizes sensationalism over facts. They're just trying to sell the paper. Mm-hmm. So uh, so like the findings in this case, and I'm using bunny ears for those listening, uh, say they found a bench down when they're doing the investigation. The papers might write we found an embalming table when it was really just a bench. bench. But they're trying to put that dramatic spin on things to sell papers. Yeah. And that has become this story. It has stayed with this story. That sensationalism has stayed with this story. It's a good story. (laughs) I mean, I'm going to share with you this sensationalized version and the The real version. Uh, I'm going to share with you all the urban legend. I think that's a good way to put it. And the facts discovered by historians about H.H. Holmes. Oh, okay. America's first serial killer. Serial killer. He was creepy. Okay. Maybe not. But was he? (laughs) The only creepiness I know is sensationalized. Now, I'm not saying he didn't do bad things or that he wasn't a serial killer. I mean, again, he was named America's first serial killer. He himself joined in on the sensationalizing of his story, and he ended up claiming that he killed 27 people. And then he even said, quote, I was born with the devil in me. I could not help the fact that I was a murderer. More than a poet can help the inspiration to sing, unquote. Does a poet sing? (laughs) I was just about to say that. Okay. (laughs) But of those 27 people he claimed to have killed, over half of them were still alive when he (laughs) told the media this. Oh, my God. Can you imagine you just, like, walking the street like, you're alive? (laughs) H.H. Holmes said he killed you. (laughs) Anyway, uh, if we go with the facts and the proof, he likely killed nine people, which is still a lot of people. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, he's still a serial killer. Yeah. And this really reminds me of that Henry Lee Lucas and like his tales of (laughs) hundreds of people. Yeah, sure. Uh, But still, like I said, killing nine people is a lot of people. (laughs) Um, Sorry, my nose is really itchy. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm like self-conscious now to rub my nose with this pink <laughs> on YouTube. <laughs> that girl that constantly rubs her nose. My mom and I did find, though, in my defense, that this thing I put on my microphone, I think I'm allergic to it. So Yeah. She always Sorry. gets kind of snotty when she's around. It, so. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, let's just get into this. He was born in New Hampshire, May 16th. This is 861. Uh, I believe it was 1861. Uh, and his real name, did you know, was Herman Webster Mudgett. Mudgett. No wonder he changed it. <laughs> yes. Now, he's so different than any other serial killers. It's really fascinating to me because there's no abuse. He was never seen abusing or mistreating animals. There was no fall or hit to the head. His parents, Levi Horton Mudgett and Theodate Page Price, supported their three kids. He had an older sister and an older brother. And Levi, his brother, worked hard, did odd jobs where he could on farms as a painter, a trader. Um, uh, I take that back. Levi's brother, I'm sure he did that too, but so did Herman. Herman did that as well. Herman had odd jobs. He paint. I mean, he was a hard worker. Uh, he actually even called himself a mother's boy. He was a self-proclaimed mama's boy. He had friends and was active in the community and their Methodist church. He graduated high school at 16. And now this is kind of funny, but he married his high school girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And you're going to see this theme of him and women throughout this whole story. Clara Lovering was her name, like right out of high school. The two get married at 17 secretly. They go to the courthouse and they get married. but they each live still at their own at their parents houses for like a year oh and then their parents find out well by the time their parents find out she's pregnant and so they help the couple move into their own place they got Herman a job like her parents I don't know if they owned the grocery store or they knew who owned the grocery store but he started working at a grocery store uh but he wanted to go to college he had a passion and he wanted to work in the medical field now, let me remind you, this guy joined in on this sensationalizing of his story. I mean, he heard people talking and he liked what they were saying. So that being said, he wrote about his life uh, uh, and he shared a story about how he became obsessed with the medical field, the human body and dissection to be ex- mm-hmm. more specific. Mm-hmm. He shared a story that when he was a boy... There was a local doctor in the area who rumor had it. He kept like body parts around in his office. Now, like autopsies and stuff back then were not, they were, it was newer or not a thing yet. Like it wasn't cutting up people's bodies was like, like people didn't do that. So I think it was just like the start of doing that. This doctor was said to have been doing that and had like body parts in his doctor's office. Probably in formaldehyde. Herman was terrified of going to the doctor and like would terrified of this, the stories and everything. He was like 13, I think when this happened. So the older boys in the neighborhood decided to tackle him and pull him into the doctor's office. And they took him in front of a skeleton that the doctor had there. And they made the skeleton's hand touch his face. (laughs) They like held him down and they're like tormenting him with this skeleton Herman says his fear fell away and curiosity of the human body took over. I would be 
traumatized. I'm just. Thinking, I'm not even afraid I'm of just skeletons. Thinking, like but... screaming, screaming, and then. Oh. And then, like, as it's touching his face, like, oh, oh this is interesting. <laughs> Weird. He went on to write about how others were very jealous of him as he continued schooling at the University of Michigan's Department of Medicine and Surgery, how he was very ambitious and smart. Historians have come to find a difference in this little story. One historian in particular, I really enjoyed reading articles on. He has a an awesome website. I will link it. Uh, he was also on the History Channel's podcast. His name is Adam Salser. Uh, he said that Herman actually barely passed med school and that the professors actually passed him out of pity. <laughs> Nobody used to ever pity me in college. <laughs> I needed some pitying. <laughs> now, while he was attending med school, he was still married to Clara and their son. They had a son. Uh, they moved in with him in the boarding house at medical school. They're near campus and the two fought all the time. Mm. And in 1884, Clara took the baby and moved back in with her family in New Hampshire. And although technically still married, he pretty much lived a free man in college. Just, you know, he dated a lot. He proposed to a lot of girls or like promised I will marry you. He was, he was something else. There are also stories that while in med school, he and friends would steal corpses and even dig up fresh corpses from local cemeteries and do one of two things, either dissect them and sell the skeletons to med schools, or they would stage deaths and claim life insurance money mm -hmm. on these bodies. I'm not sure, and there weren't not facts on this. It is something that he will do later on in life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But there's also some legend that in the boarding house, once his wife moved out, the roommates in the area or like the people who live next to him started smelling something from his room. And mm. when the uh, land, not landscaper, landlord, <laughs> landscaper probably does not care. The landscaper at the cemetery. <laughs> Notice a bunch of holes. <laughs> when the land, I just lost it. Landlord. Uh, when they went to go find out what the smell was they found dead babies under his bed and huh? he was like learning how to dissect and using these babies um and they were like yeah no no more of that please and he's like okay sure but again there's no like proof in that like right, right. i feel like they would kick him out if they're like you're no more of babies. that <laughs> tsk, okay tsk, 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 tsk. <laughs> yeah but and again, I just wanted to t show you the sensationalized stories that have been told mm -hmm. everywhere and questions. Yeah. About the stories. Okay. Yeah. What I'm sure of, though, is that Herman had three passions in his life dissecting corpses. He really did enjoy that. The second love was courting women. <laughs> you will see a theme, like I said. After graduating, he moved to New York and worked as a school teacher and in a physician's office for a while, all the while courting woman after woman after woman, proposing, like I said, I think he, at least historians know he proposed to at least two of them in New York. I mean, it, did they all married. say no or what? I think he just like gets sick of them and then just leaves. Oh, we're just okay. gonna, never mind you can see the text i sent i sent you text before we started you can look at these pictures of him he was said to be incredibly handsome women just fawned over him and 
I mean, maybe that's an 1800s thing. But. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, and we'll post these pictures for again those listening. Uh, we'll post it, and I, I think oh I might gosh. even try. I'm gonna try to even get a picture in right here. He looks like a gopher, like a gopher animal. So he's like the mustache is like a thing. The mustache was a thing back then, and he had a good one. I guess he was just eyes very, are droopy. but he was very confident. He acted rich and acted very prestigious although he wasn't and so I think that I I don't know I wasn't around back then to really fully assess his romantic side well who knows maybe he had charm and you know oh he had charisma and stuff we will you will definitely see a lot of charm he could charm men women anything like he was a charmer Obviously, the landlord, too. <laughs> that story's true, yeah. <laughs> okay, the third love he had was scamming people. He worked mm. selling books door-to-door at a time. Now, Herman was, like I said, a charmer. Very handsome, everybody said. And he's very persistent. He dressed the part of a successful businessman. So he's selling these books door-to-door. And if the people wanted these books... He conned them into paying him then, and then he'd say, okay, I'd have, I'll have your book shipped or Pony Express to you, you know, in the next couple of weeks. Have a good day. Well, he's not really selling books. He's obviously taking this money and running. And do you remember back when I lived in Charlotte and we had that guy come to our door and he was selling magazine subscriptions and I like was very charming guy and I was like this close and Alex is like what are you doing I need the checkbook honey he's like no you don't what are you doing so I almost got caught in a scam like this <laughs> well you don't know maybe the guy really had magazines uh no I'm pretty sure he didn't oh, okay no. in 1886 now going by his name H.H. H. Holmes because who could take a guy named Mudget seriously? And that's a total joke. If your name is Mudget, I'm so sorry. I'm not. I really, Beth? Oh, my bad goodness. joke. Bad joke. Sorry. But he wanted to change his name. And back then, I guess you could do that really easily. You could just change your name. Change your name. Very easily. So with the huge growth rate of the city, he decides to move to Chicago. Chicago at this time is crazy. They had that really big fire in like 1871 Mm -hmm. and it burnt down a lot of the city. And so they've rebuilt everything. And so they have like these beautiful new buildings and skyscrapers and infrastructure. And they have all this land now. So they're just growing, growing, growing. That being said, it's, and it's the industrial boom, like I said before, but the growth in the population and these buildings the police force is not growing, keeping up with this growth. Oh, okay. So there is a lot of crime and it's dirty and it's it's exciting to live in Chicago. They're trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to be the new New York, but their police presence and keeping it clean, it was just, it was really hard for them to do because to, it was growing so quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he sets his sights. He has his Chicago as H.H. H. Holmes. And he sets his sights on a pharmacy in Inglewood. It's on the outskirts of. Mm-hmm. I've been Chicago. there. He traveled to Springfield to obtain obtain his 
pharmacy license. So he goes, he sees his pharmacy. He's like, I want it. He goes and he gets his pharmacy license. He passes his exams and he did a little traveling before he goes to buy his new pharmacy. Um, so before he heads back to Chicago, he's traveling and in, in, in Minneapolis, Minneapolis, I always want to add an extra N and I don't know why Minneapolis, he meets and falls in love and marries Huerta Belknap. Keep in mind, he's still also married to Claire Lovering. Right. So now this is his second wife. They travel back to Chicago. He heads to that pharmacy he had his eye on. Now, why was his eye on this pharmacy? Well, a few reasons. First, the pharmacist, Dr. Holton, wasn't doing so well health-wise and was very sick. Cancer and his wife was scrambling to keep their pharmacy afloat. And... There was an empty lot of land just across the street from the pharmacy. And with the help of the family money he had just married into, Uh he could potentially buy it and go on to build his number one scam, his hotel or his building, whatever you want to call it. The castle is what he named it. We'll come back to that. We first, first he had to work on this pharmacy scam. I mean, plan. H.H. Holmes slides in, offering his help. Remember, he's a charmer. He steps up to the poor, distraught wife, eventually convincing her to put the pharmacy in his name, and he would start to make payments to her. Oh. The husband soon dies, and those payments that the woman was promised by Holmes, they aren't ever being paid, and she threatens a lawsuit. Well, wouldn't you know it? For long, the wife, Elizabeth Holton, disappears Holmes tells locals that she had left Chicago to stay with family in California. There was nothing left for her in Chicago now that her husband had died and the pharmacy was just failing. The pharmacy was now officially H.H. Holmes. Record scratch. (laughs) Rewind. (laughs) Can't do that. I don't know what to do with the sounds there. The story I just shared is part of the urban legend. Historians, like I mentioned before, Adam Seltzer, for example, have discovered the facts of this story. And you know what's sad is that that story is told when telling H.H. Holmes's history by so many people. And here are the facts. Yes, Holmes married Myrta. And yes, it was most likely for her family's money. And yes, when Holmes moved to Chicago, he did set his sights on a pharmacy in Inglewood on the edge of the Chicago city. And yes, according to archives, the pharmacy was run by a Dr. Holton, a Dr. Elizabeth Sarah Holton. Oh, The husband was alive and well, no cancer. He had a traveling job. Dr. Holton was about to have her second child and wanted to sell the pharmacy. Holmes purchased the pharmacy on the up and up. (laughs) Totally fair. He bought the pharmacy from her. Dr. Holton, her husband, and their children remained in the neighborhood until the 20th century. Well, that's boring. I know. (laughs) I know. I'm sorry. So. Pharmacy was purchased, fairly, but the swindling the swindling was soon to follow. Holmes purchased barbershop equipment to fill his new pharmacy. And I guess that was like the thing to have a barbershop in your pharmacy back then. Okay. So he puts all of this on credit. The man loved to use credit. <laughs> and he never had any intention on paying any of his bills. Now, what about that empty lot across the street? Well... He had a plan for this, too. It was actually three lots. 
lots 701 through 703. And he used his new wife because he was still married to Carla again, but he's using his new wife. He he uses her family money and her inheritance that he got when he married her. They buy mm-hmm. this land, but she he keeps the land in his wife's name. And then he actually then later, like a year later, will put the land in his mother-in-law's name to try to keep the creditors away. I mean, he was... Oh. Yeah. Was it Shiesty McShysterson? Is that <laughs> what people say? Probably not. Okay. Now, this is where I don't know how to continue the story. <laughs> do I share the urban legend or do I share the facts? Uh, because, like you said, the facts are kind of boring and the urban legend's really fun. <laughs> I really don't know. How, I didn't know how to proceed from here. So I'm going to try, try to keep both. But you've heard the stories of the murder castle correct yes i think most people have secret passageways hidden rooms doorways that lead nowhere nowhere narrow hallways that end nowhere that yeah and then these greased shoots that go to the cellar where there was embalming yes. tables and and uh, yeah all the hotel rooms because this is a hotel the hotel rooms were soundproof and some of them even had gas that would go into the vents by just a push of a button from his office. Amazing. Amazing. I, I know. And the furnace in the basement was just large enough to hit, to hit, to fit. To a fit. body. A body. I cannot tell you how much of this is true. I don't think any of it <laughs> is true. I can tell you, though, that the castle was essentially built. Essentially, it was built for free. So legend says that he would hire a crew and make this hallway here and then Mm -hmm. he'd fire them because he didn't want anybody to know the layout of his castle he didn't even have architects this is what the legend says architects work on it he drew it out himself he would hire different crews to do different things and then fire them so that nobody knew what the layout what was inside the walls like there was like hallways between the rooms that he could go and there's like peepholes into rooms and stuff that's what everybody said right <laughs> right but really if he's such a swindler why do you think he was hiring and firing these people so quickly go build that you know build this hallway oh you didn't do that right you're fired. i didn't i don't like what you did right, right and i don't like what you did so i don't have to pay you mm-hmm. i think that's a little more realistic with learning the swindler that he really was right so the castle had two stories the bottom housed a pharmacy, a barbershop, a candle, a candle, not a candle store, a candy store, a jewelry store, and other shops and a little restaurant. The second story was apartments. It was not a hotel. Sorry. Oh. It was for long-term residents. I hate ruining these stories for you guys. I'm sorry, but it was an apartment okay. complex. Debunk. Uh, it was not a hotel. Later, that comes into play when he builds the third floor, but we'll get there. He was such a scam artist. I think that is his number one crime. I mean, yes, we'll talk about other things later, but he was such a scam artist. He purchased this huge soundproof safe. Why soundproof? Uh, that is a little sketch to me. That uh, he would he built into the room across from his office on the second floor. A soundproof Again, is, safe? Yeah. And he bought this on credit and he used it as a safe and 
stories have that that's where he would gas victims Mm -hmm. or keep victims or women and what have you. Fact is, it was a soundproof safe. It was this huge safe, but he used it as a safe too. And he had it installed and he put it all on credit. Well, the investors come because they're like, dude, this safe is like a big deal. Uh, I need the money for it. He's like, okay, go ahead, but don't damage my building because it had already been like installed in the walls. Right. So they assess it and they're like, we can't can't do it. We can't touch this. So that was that. Oh my gosh. There was a company that tried to sue him and he's like, uh, guys, you can sue me all you want, but this building and the land is all in my mother-in-law's name. So, and they're like, well, we have never talked to her. We've been talking to you this entire time. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, the beam you installed was not big enough. I wasn't happy with what you did. So I'm not paying you. I mean, he was just, and he was getting away with all of this. Shyster. Yeah. Shyster. I don't want to ruin the whole tale. You've been told of H.H. Holmes, but up to this point, he's just a scam artist, con artist. He's a swindler. He's not a killer. That being said, I can't say he wasn't a weirdo. Employees of his building did grow used to his oddness. Employees were told to go into the safe and scream and yell so that he could make sure it was soundproof. And they were like used to this. I, I'm still questioning why is a soundproof safe even made? Why is that even a thing? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Housekeep the housekeeper would catch him tiptoeing around like at really odd hours in the middle of the night. Like 2 a.m. He's like tiptoeing down the hallway. That's Ooh. weird. Ooh. The janitor who worked the pharmacy recalled a time when Holmes showed him fake beards and disguises he had. He's he's kind of a weirdo. <laughs> Kinda. He's a weirdo. Go get in the safe and scream. (laughs) Yes, sir. Get your paycheck when you get out. Now, then there is the story of Charles Chapel. And again, I don't know how factual this story is, but he was a real person. And this is his account, Charles Chapel's account. He was a laborer on some part of the building when it was being built. And somehow or another, he and Holmes started apparently discussing medical school and how Chapel had used to work in the anatomy lab at a medical school. And this thrilled Holmes to hear somebody else who, like, enjoyed anatomy and human bodies like he did. So he takes Chapel to see a partially dissected corpse up in his room. In his room? This is Holmes? Yeah. Okay. And he says... I will pay you $36 if you finish the dissection of this so that we can sell the skeleton to a medical school. And Chapel was like, sure. So he got paid money and then... He actually got paid? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, and well, because I guess he's got to keep quiet too. Mm-hmm. So he gets paid. That was a really good point, Mom. And <laughs> thank you. Holmes turns around and sells the skeleton for like $200 to a medical school or a doctor or something. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's like a story. Again, uh, uh, uh. so when did the killings begin? Well, 
1890, he sold that first pharmacy he bought and he left the new owner in a really bad situation because as soon as the new owner took ownership, the creditors swooped in and basically cleared all the shelves because they were never paid. They trusted Holmes, but not this new guy, right? I mean, come on. (laughs) Wow. He still spent a lot of time over there. He probably just such a charmer. He spent a lot of time hanging out at the old pharmacy. One day, one of his original investors showed up and really seemed pretty upset about something. (laughs) And he left in a rage. And as he's leaving, he collapsed outside of the building. Dr. Holmes rushes to his aid. He pours a dark liquid into the man's mouth. And within minutes, the man was dead. Was this his first kill? Is this true? (laughs) Is this true or false? Is this his first kill? Another case was a year prior. This was in 1889. Now, this one is more on the true side. It's sad. The new building's complete and a new family, a young family moves in. The Connors, Ned, Julia, and their daughter, Pearl. Ned and Julia worked in the jewelry store downstairs. Okay. And they lived in one of the apartments in the building. Uh, Julia and Holmes begin an affair right away, even though Murda is like living right down the hallway. And Julia's husband is living on the other side of the hallway. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, this goes on for like two years before Ned's oh. like, <laughs> Ned's like, uh, I'm out of here. This is baloney. Took two years for him to find out. So he leaves, and soon the two are engaged. Murda, huh? Murda is like living up north now still in chicago in like an apartment somewhere else i'm sure he conned her into out of the out of the building i don't know but he's still married to these two women but now he's engaged to julia he also started to take out debts in julia's name oh for goodness sake! now we don't know we don't know the specifics but it's believed that julia got pregnant around november of 1891 from stories Holmes told Julia that he did not want a baby, and he was also struggling with Julia's eight-year-old daughter, Pearl, at this time, and he was not ready for a family, didn't want a family. So he told her, I'll marry you if you have an abortion, and he would perform the abortion. Christmas Eve is when, for some reason, Christmas Eve, but that's when it's assumed it happened, because after Christmas of 1991, neither Julia nor Pearl were ever seen again it is assumed that and holmes later hinted kind of that julia died during the abortion is that because he failed the abortion because he didn't know what he was doing and so she died or did he do it on purpose we don't know and then pearl's missing so even if the abortion went wrong he still had to where is she pearl right he was a big chloroform guy so they're assuming that's how he killed the little girl and that skeleton that chapel mm-hmm. had mm-hmm. worked on for homes is said to belong to julia connors oh that is hanging in a doctor's office somewhere mm-hmm. yeah now there was skeletons found in the investigation with the media that i told in the very beginning we'll get yes. there okay Uh, So Holmes began a new business venture around this time, too. He purchased a glass bending company. He convinced everyone he had created some new technique to glass bending. There was a big party and this big show 
to showcase his new furnace, but it's been said that no one ever actually ever saw him bending glass or burning anything. It's also said that after purchasing the said furnace, women in his life started to disappear a little more frequently. Uh, like his fiance, Emmeline Sagrand, a young, beautiful typewriter girl. Oh, another girl. one. Okay. Okay. Yep. A young, beautiful typewriter girl he hired in 1892 who disappeared the Christmas after Julia disappeared. Holmes told everyone that she'd gone on to Europe to get married after being engaged to after him. After engaged to him. Okay. I will say some suspect the furnace and others suspect another failed abortion with Emmeline's disappearance. Mm. But then where's her body? Like, yeah, right. Again, besides the fact that these women were never seen again, we don't know what happened to them. We don't know the facts. Minnie Williams came into his life at the perfect time, the time of Chicago hosting the World's Fair. Ah, uh, that's right. Yeah. Do you know about the World's Fair? Mm -hmm. I knew kind of about it, but I had a lot of fun looking at it. It was this. super cool. It was the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus's arrival to the New World. It went from May to October, so it's this big six-month affair. Like 27 million tickets were sold. Wow. Like, it's crazy. Once it was announced that America was going to host the fair, they put a vote of what city was going to host it. New York, St. Louis, Chicago won. Hmm. And the city like set to work. That was another reason why there's this scramble of growth for people and businesses and skyscrapers and everything else. That's how they got the name the White City is because the skyscrapers they're building had that white facade to them. Just such this rush, 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 rush to make this beautiful for the World's Fair. But the like I said, the police growth is not really keeping up with this. Mm -hmm. That being said, there is a lot of people that went missing from the World's Fair. A lot of people took advantage of sure. all, all the of chaos. these people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's see. 46 nations participated in the fair. There were exhibits of artists, musicians, carnival rides showcasing the original Ferris wheel. And fun fact, the guy who made the first amusement park, the Steeplechase Park in Coney Island, he got his idea for that at the World's Fair. Hmm. The fair also showcased the first moving walkway or the Travelator. I mean, think about this. They're going from nothing to all of a sudden the Travelator and a Ferris wheel and they have their first uh, moving pictures. And I mean, it literally went from like nothing to like, boom, all of this stuff. Isn't that crazy to you? I know it, it is. It was a, a cool, super cool thing. Yeah, it was the biggest event in America. It was an introduction to the new age. Yep, 27 million paid admission. People came from all over America, the world, but people saved up for this event. This is the Midwest. A lot of people are coming from small towns and they've never seen a building more than like three stories high. So this mm, is like wow. so cool to them. Other things introduced at the fair were juicy fruit gum, cream of wheat, cracker jacks, shredded wheat cereal and paps blue ribbon beer which still showcases the blue ribbon that they won at the fair on their cans today oh that's cool i didn't know yes. that so the biggest event is coming to chicago and hh H. holmes wants in on this he wants to expand his building to three stories opening up the third floor for fairgoers and rent it out like a hotel naming it the world's fair hotel now, building this third floor on credit was really easy for Holmes at this point because 
everybody wants in on money right now. So all of the furniture and hardwood floors and any construction crews, they're in on World's Fair money too. Like they want to get their name out there and furnish furnish a new hotel and put their name out there. So they're going to get stuff out there quickly too. Wow. So he's putting things on credit really easily with this third floor. And like I said, many people did go missing. This was the beginning also of female independence. Females were, women were taking the train now to the city. They're also allowed now to be paid. I mean, we still don't have all of our rights. We're not getting paid equally at this time, but we're able to get paid and get our own jobs. And they were coming to Chicago a lot at this time for that possibility. And there were a lot of people that took advantage of these women that are independently coming out. Legend has it that Holmes was the guy who took advantage of this. In actuality, and I hate to ruin this for you guys, there's no record of anyone ever staying at his hotel during the World's Fair. Ever? Not a single person. Because in August, so three months after the fair started, the third floor of the building mysteriously caught fire. Sorry, guys. I'm sorry. It's like... The story is that he got all these women to his murder castle and killed them at the World's Fair. Nada. There's no record that he checked anybody into his hotel. He filed a huge insurance claim on this loft, Mm -hmm. but the company was not fooled and H.H. Holmes was forced to skip town. They're starting to catch up to him and his scams. So I need to back up because I forgot the important character in this story, Minnie Williams. I mentioned her before as the woman who came into his life at the most perfect time of the World's Fair. Minnie was from Texas. Now, I mean this with full respect, but most of Holmes' love interests, and I hate to use the word love interest because I don't think he was capable of love. Personally, I think all of these women in his life, there was a reason for them. He used them. Yeah. And he's keeping this facade and this charm of this prosperous businessman. Who's going to take him seriously if he's not married? Right. Like, Mm -hmm. and he's so charming. And so everybody keeps saying that he was like this love guy and he'd fall in love or he loved this person. I think there was always a reason to it. I don't think that there was, I don't think he was really capable of love. My opinion. That's honestly just my opinion. (sighs) Okay. But The women that were in his life were usually very pretty, very beautiful women. And several quotes I read about Minnie, quote, she didn't know a lot. Uh, She was a larger woman. Okay. She was a Texas heiress. She had a Mm -hmm. lot of money. And the only thing standing in his way of this money was Minnie's sister, Nanny. The two girls lived in an apartment on the north side of Chicago and Holmes set to work to woo them both. He would take them to the fair at night, treat them, charm them. And then in July of 1893, the two sisters disappeared. Both of them? Mm -hmm. Holmes would go on to say that Minnie killed Nanny because she was getting jealous of the time he was spending with Nanny. This is Holmes. So a lot of the other deaths, women that went missing, it was she went off to Europe to get married or Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. she left to go be with family. But he admits that. But this one with Minnie, he says, no, he says that that Minnie did it. Minnie Mm -hmm. killed Nanny and she disappeared. She's a con artist. She's done most of the things you guys are blaming me for. She's a horrible human being. Oh. She's committed all of these crimes. He blamed her for everything. He said she killed her sister and then just disappeared. Oh. So Minnie and Nanny disappear in July. 
The building's third floor burns down in August. And after that, Holmes and his new lover, Georgiana Yoke, leave Chicago. They get married. What was this? Three wives? Yep. Who's counting? They get married and they head to Denver first to collect money due to Minnie from her brother's death in a mining accident. How are they getting this, though? Minnie's brother dies and he goes and gets the money. They then head to Texas to steal land that Minnie had owned. Holmes' plan? To build another castle, this time twice as big. But of course, again, all on credit. Another character that plays an important role in Holmes's new story is Benjamin Peitzel. All bad guys need a sidekick, right? Well, that was Peitzel. Peitzel had worked deals and swindled with Holmes back in Chicago. He was a bit of a drunk, but he was loyal to Holmes and the two swindled together a lot. Peitzel came out to Texas for a while and the two began their swindling to creditors for the new building. Holmes never would stick around to see this building. This never this never came to fruition. Oh. The two took out tens of thousands of dollars of mortgages on the land and, of course, never made any payments on them. And this is in Fort Worth, Texas. I don't know if I mentioned that or not. But they also tried their hand at horse swindling or stealing <laughs> horses. Peitzel got arrested for bad checks. And while he was in prison serving this time, Holmes paid some pretty hefty premiums on Peitzel's life insurance. Two two had a plan, a big plan, and it was going to take some time, but they were going to fake Peitzel's death and then split the life insurance money that came in. Side note, Peitzel is married and he has like seven kids. Oh, creep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it also says that he was a very loving father. I mean, he was, like, involved in his kid's life, all seven of them. Anyway. Okay. So this plan's going to take some time. The two just kept on swindling to take up that time because they have to build up that premium, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They moved to St. Louis. They bought a drugstore for $50 and promises. Uh, well, Peitzel didn't. Holmes did. Peitzel then goes to the drugstore supplier and convinced them that he was interested in buying the drugstore from Holmes. If they lent him the money, he would use them. As his main supplier, they agree. Obviously, the men are caught, and Holmes is actually arrested for pharmacy fraud. This is the first time that Holmes is arrested. I think he was in jail for like three days. Oh, jeez. But while in jail, he did a lot of talking, bragging. Oh, this is nothing. Life insurance fraud is the way to go. More money in that for sure. He then meets the handsome bandit. Yes, that is his name. You can even find him on Wikipedia. It's, he's, he's a thing. His name is Marion Hedgepiss. He was a really pretty famous outlaw okay. in like the Midwest at the time. And Holmes is like bragging to the handsome bandit about life insurance and money he's making. He's really trying to impress this handsome right. bandit. Right, uh, yeah. Peitzel and Holmes both get out of jail and the two head to Philadelphia. A suggestion made by the handsome bandit, I think uh, Holmes promised him, like, I'll pay you if you tell me about some kind of lawyer that's going to help us with this life insurance fraud that we're trying to run. So the handsome bandit helps him. The handsome bandit, of course, turns Holmes in later on. He is part of turning Holmes in and making this story like this is what happened kind of so that he doesn't stay in prison for much longer. So that handsome bandit. Okay, so they set up, they go to Philadelphia. They set up this fake business for Benjamin Peitzel. He was going to pose as an owner of a company selling and buying patents. And he would be posing as an inventor as well. And they do a really good job because he actually gets customers 
that are trying to sell him their patents. Mm -hmm. One client came to the building for a meeting and discovered the body of Benjamin Peitzel. He looked to have died in a lab explosion of some kind. The life insurance money went to Peitzel's widow, rightfully so, Mm -hmm. but good old Holmes swoops in and collects most of the money. I think she got like $10,000 and he comes and he says, uh, you owe me $7,500 for the building that we're building in Texas. Oh. Yes. Uh, okay, so this is where the story gets really confusing and really odd. But apparently, after he takes all that money, he decides he wants to do a good deed for her. And he says, well, I will take three of your children off your hands and travel with them to Indianapolis to stay with their aunt. So he and his wife, Georgiana, right? That's his wife right now. Yeah, number three. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they take these three children and they start their trek. And I, I just... I guess she really trusted him with her three children that this part of the story just gets so weird to me. She, he, his wife and these three kids and some, some suggest that Holmes knew at this time that he, his gig was up. He was a wanted man. So who's going to be looking for a man traveling with his wife and three kids. Mm -hmm. They're just going to be looking for him. That's what people assume. And I think that kind of makes sense too. It does. Yeah. Cause he uses everybody. Sure. Regardless, he's moving these children all over the country with him. All along this time, he tells the mother of these children, the death of your husband was a scam. He's alive and he's in Canada. So I'm actually just going to take your kids to Canada so that they can be with their father. Holmes was eventually tracked down in Boston where he was arrested for horse theft from his swindling out in Texas. Texas, okay. And when he's being brought in, he's like really, really, really scared, like super nervous. And then he sees this insurance agent at the station and he instantly relaxes because horse thievery in texas is like a hanging offense it's like the, like a horrible thing to do and you could hang for it so he is like terrified being brought in and then he sees this insurance agent he's like he literally says like oh yes i'm an insurance swindler i did it i frauded the insurance companies take me take me now like that's what i did <laughs> Because he thought he was like going down for right. the horses. Okay. So he's on trial. Am I bouncing around too much? Mm -mm. Okay. He's on trial for this insurance scam with Peitzel. And his story becomes, well, Benjamin Peitzel committed suicide. Oh. And I wanted his family to get the insurance money like they deserved. So I staged the area to look like an accident. And the <laughs> staging, I guess, was horrible horrible his the Peitzel's face was messed up but like nothing else was messed up <laughs> so it was supposed to be like a lab explosion so I don't think he thought Peitzel was going to be found as soon as he did I think he thought uh, maybe he'd decompose a little right mm -hmm. have some time okay so he says I staged the area to look like an accident so the family got the money okay well then his attorney takes him back and it's like okay man that's a good story and all but if that's the case then where are the children where are they? You were yeah. picked up in Boston. Where are these kids? Oh, 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 well, the children, they're, they're fine. I sent them to go stay with my sweet, dear old friend, Minnie Williams in London. Minnie's dead. Minnie's dead. <laughs> well, how about his wife, Georgia, or whatever her name is? I don't know. In all of the stories I read, researched, historians, legend, all of it, she just kind of like dipped. disappears. <laughs> Like, like she these, never existed. These kids are driving me crazy. Why are we traveling with three children? I'm dipping. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> okay. So there's this Philadelphia detective working the case. While this trial is going on for Benjamin Peitzel 
insurance money, mm-hmm. whatever the story about these children is just off to him. So he goes in search of like, what is going on? So he goes on the trail because at the beginning of this, it was like an adventure to these kids. And they went to so many different places and they'd rent out houses and rent out apartments and they'd stay different places. So he starts at the beginning and this detective is just going to all these places. Well, he discovers a house that there's a smell coming from the basement. They do end up finding two, it was two little girls and a boy. They found two little girls buried in a shallow grave in this house that Holmes had rented in the basement. Oh no. It's believed that they were put in a trunk and he gassed them in the trunk. That's part legend, I think, to make it more traumatic, but it's killing children. So I think it's incredibly traumatic no matter how he did it. Uh, I think chloroform was his go-to. So I kind of leaned more towards that. But then the little boy, his body was never really discovered, but bones were discovered in the fireplace. And I think you covered that house as a haunting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I did. Yeah. Yeah. It is discovered that the children are all dead. Once the children's bodies were discovered, several other authorities decided to have a closer look at this Holmes fella, and they decided to head to his castle in Chicago. Now, like I began this episode, the chief of police had no experience in in any of this, right? So he's, this is the most ineffective investigation. There were bones discovered in the basement. But like I said, the media was all up in there too. So if a bone was found, they're like passing these bones around. Oh, jeez. And as I mentioned, this is the yellow journalism era. So a bench in the basement became a table used to dismember bodies. A barrel discovered had potentially had acid in it to dissolve bodies. Mm-hmm. A rope they found had hung several women who had gone missing from the World's Fair. The stories were astounding. The New York World prints an article with this diagram. And in the diagram, it's a diagram of the murder castle. Mm-hmm. And it names rooms the secret hanging chamber, the asphyxiation chamber, the maze, and they name it the murder castle uh-huh. or the murder factory. Oh, jeez. They wrote up this whole huge article blaming Holmes for the hundreds of people that did not return home from their visit to the World's Fair, filling their articles with stories that had printed in Chicago and then just filling in the holes and the gaps with imagination and mm-hmm. money. Sen- The mundane parts, they want to, like, add the flair. Other papers around the United States reprint this article. Mm. So now we have this sensationalized story of H.H. Holmes. Holmes would go on trial now for the death of Benjamin Peitzel, and he would be convicted to death by hanging. As he waited his execution, the media is still going crazy over this Holmes case, and many of them are negotiating with him to give his last confession, his last interview. Okay. The New York world that printed that mm-hmm. huge story, they're turned down and they're really sour about it. They go back and they print another article. And this time they say, quote, Holmes is about to write a confession where he killed 20 people, unquote. <laughs> so now whoever Holmes chooses to give his statement to, uh-huh. he can't look bad. He can't say anything less than that. 20. Yeah. <laughs> He can't, and he can't just say nothing now either. I mean, because this is H.H. Holmes. He's become such an American legend and he knows it. So he knows he has to give a great interview and he's eating all this up and he truly plays this role. He gives an interview confessing, confessing mm. that he killed 27 people. But like I mentioned before, 
like 10 of those people are walking around still out there. Like, So he named them too. Yeah. Gosh. Holmes was executed. He was hung <laughs> on your birthday. Oh, yep. <laughs> May 7th, 1896. He was brought in. Okay. So he requested to be buried in a block of cement because he didn't want people messing with his body after he was buried. But it's like. Because like he used to do that. So yeah. who would even think about that except somebody who used to mess with bodies, right? Well, I guess he got offers from some from some people saying like, can we hang your skeleton at a carnival? You're H.H. Holmes. We want to hang your body somewhere. Oh. Yeah. But so he's like, no, I want to be buried in cement so nobody can mess with me. He's just rude. So that's the story of H.H. Holmes. Maybe there's still a lot of unknown in his story. But it really made me think about all the stories we've shared and how has this happened in other stories? Maybe not this dramatic of a whole murder castle, but has the newspaper maybe printed something to get somebody's attention just a little bit? And then that just grows and grows like a game of telephone that just Mm -hmm. to get people's attention. Like, do you think this happens in other stories i think it happens in other stories well we know we We're do watching it, it happen it's happening in, in 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 the iowa murder case with the students idaho yeah I, idaho i'm sorry idaho murder idaho case with the students. I, iowa yeah <laughs> <laughs> totally different states but it it's happening there i know i mean it's happening everywhere and it and that's like why going... we try to that's why we try to not use newspaper and and, and media as our total resources almost going back to the yellow journalism era with how people are doing clickbait and well that's what it is horrible that's exactly what it is so they just rename yellow journalism to clickbait yeah that's true it it makes me hope i hope then that any of the stories we share though are i guess we're doing the best we can by the resources we're looking at but do we really know like that's Right. Especially the older ones, the older cases. Yeah. Yeah. Coffee's cold now, but I really want to drink it. (laughs) I was really excited to cover him, though. And like I said, I thought it was going to be straightforward. It was going to be this gruesome tale. I was so excited to share it. (laughs) The murder castle. (laughs) And there is, okay, so again, facts. The building was torn down, his murder castle. The castle was torn down. And there's a post office, but the post office is only on like, so remember he bought lot 701, 702, and 703. Mm-hmm, the post mm-hmm. office is on like the tip of like 703 or something like that. So the there's a post office there now, but it's not mm-hmm. even on the land of the murder castle. Okay. So it's like right next door. Hasn't the murder castle been torn down? Yeah. That's what I just said. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. You're not listening. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. It's getting... been torn down. And they have, I don't believe they have anything built there, uh, but the post office is like on the edge of it. But the post mm-hmm. office claims that we're on the site of the murder castle. And they, there's like paranormal shows that have, they've done stuff uh, there. Uh, and like that Adam Seltzer historian guy, that podcast is great. I'll put a link to it. He does this huge interview on all the research he's done and what he's found on H.H. Holmes, like the facts. And it's put out by the History Channel. But I went on the History Channel after I listened to that podcast and that interview. And there was like a whole H.H. Holmes episode on the History Channel. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, that was so factual. Let's see what this has. That whole thing on the same channel was all the sensationalized story. There was nothing about. Right. And it's like, I work in the post office and there's things happening in the basement. And it's like, but the basement isn't even the original building. Like, it's gone. Um, that's not saying that 
maybe Pearl, the little eight-year-old, and Julia, maybe their spirits are still there. That's not saying that they're not, but I'm just, right. it's just, I don't know. All right, I'm rambling. I'm rambling. I need to stop. Mom, tell us a paranormal story from Illinois, please. Yeah, this was actually, I actually asked Beth because, you know, I just don't want to do another hotel and theater and I just didn't get into that. So she goes, hey, how about doing this idea? Oh, you used the idea I gave you? I I gave you two. One of them was one you already did. So that proves how much <laughs> I pay attention. <laughs> I go, don't you remember? I already did this one. As I said, it, it sounded familiar, but yeah. Yeah. Sorry. But I am going to share two hauntings, okay. of course, or urban legends. Oh, and this is like the urban legend episode. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure what to call these hauntings or urban legends, but let's, let's go forward. Okay. The first one is the devil's stone. In 1975, Gilbert and Trudy Woods of Glen Ellen, Illinois, dug up a strange terracotta stone or rock. It's not a rock. I consider rock small. This is a stone in their backyard. Okay. Uh, maybe the other way around. Okay, we're going to... Stone <laughs> is small. Rock is bigger. Yeah, I was going to say, like a pebble. I think like a pebble and then a stone and then a rock. Okay, rock. <laughs> The Roswell Rock. <laughs> oh. This did not fit into anybody's pants. <laughs> Summer, dude. This rock, I never found measurements on any site. Actually, there's not so too much. So it could ri- fit in his pants. <laughs> no, because I saw a picture of it sitting next to this parapsychologist who I'll talk about. But it looked like it was up to her knees and then she had her hand on it. So I kind of, I kind of looked at the, the width of her hand compared to the width of the stone. And so I'm putting this together in my head and it comes up to approximately 15 inches high and 20 inches across. Okay. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So just to give you an idea and it's terracotta. Yep. Got it. It had what looked like ornamental ornamentation around it so like curvy little things and in the middle was a shield it looked like a shield okay etched into it yes okay so it isn't just this flat rock okay got it it's got etching in it on the shield were four different objects as you look at it on the upper right hand was the infinity sign okay on the lower left is a snake just kind of coiled up. Gross. Okay. Gross. Gross. Yeah. All right. On the upper left are squares and okay. some of them are carved deeper than others. So it kind of goes deep, up, deep, up, deep, up, and it, they're squares. Okay. On the lower right, same idea, but they're diamonds. Very, very, very odd. I mean, Gilbert thought this rock was super cool. Of course. Okay. Yeah, it was. And he put it in his rock garden around a fountain he had made. Yeah. I mean, if I found some etched rock, I think it would be pretty cool, too. Pretty cool, too. Right after the rock was unburied, unearthed, strange things started happening. Trudy claimed she saw lights turning on and off, and the radio station would change. And, like, how do you pinpoint that to a rock? Like, right away, right? Things are happening. You don't all of a sudden go... Well, I put oh, that rock in our garden. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure it's like over time, a little, you know, a little bit of time. It's like, wait, these odd things. At night, she would feel other people 
quote, other people in the room. What? She would just feel eyes looking at her. Oh, I don't I don't like in that. the room. I don't like that at all. Their children claimed that they felt something touching their feet at night while they were in bed. Oh, that's like that one haunting. I don't remember where it was where their feet were getting tickled at night. That's yeah. that's horrible. I think that's probably like one of the worst hauntings we've ever heard about is the tickling and f- touching of your feet. And- oh, yeah, can you can imagine? You imagine? Oh. I mean, kids didn't say they were tickled, but can you imagine something touching your feet? I mean, no, that's, that's like that's the like boogeyman that, all over again. That's like that story we were told when we were in like middle school where they're like, yeah, you reach down and you pet your dog and your t- your dog licked you or whatever. But dogs aren't the only things that lick. <laughs> Sorry. The guy in the interview, Gilbert, he says, yeah. You know, you know, quote, just the nickel and dime stuff. <laughs> what does that even mean? Oh, you know, your average haunting. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he said. Okay. Nickel like and it. dime stuff. I like it. Until Gilbert had a heart attack. Oh, well, that's not a nickel and dime. He didn't dime. die, that's but like he had a dollar. A, he had a heart attack and Trudy unexplainably lost her eyesight for three oh, months. Oh, my gosh. And was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Okay, we're talking like not nickel and dime, like ten dollars no, now. We're 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 up in the price here. Yeah. Um, and it all all this stuff started adding up and they're like, let's get rid of the rock. But again, how do you narrow it down to a rock? All these things are happening. How do you sit back and go, It's the rock. It has to be the rock. How how do how do people and I think this about other stories, not just this one. Where things are happening and it's like, oh, it must be the table we bought. Like things are happening around my house right now. I don't know what I would even consider blaming it on. Well, not the sweater I got on Amazon. Like not many people get Amazon, you know, five Amazon packages a day either. (laughs) I mean, personally, I would know if something weird started happening. I will never talk poorly about this. Is not an ad, but as a mom of three kids who can't get out in the house, it's no day. Hello. And I had Valentine's parties and birthday parties and crap to plan. Thank God for Amazon. Don't you hate on my Amazon? But I just don't know how I would blame one particular thing for oh, all no. these horrible things happening. Well, you know, maybe okay, that was the only thing that came new into their lives. It's the besides time. the point. I mean, they're smarter than me and they figured it out. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So they're getting rid of this because it's, it's bad juju, right? Yeah. So what, yeah. Did, what did they do? They give it to their friend. Oh, no. Linda Kleist in 1979. <laughs> oh, poor Linda. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure if she asked for it. Okay, maybe she asked for it. Maybe okay. she said, oh, I'll take that rock from you. Or maybe they said, hey, look, this cool rock, Linda. You're not really a great friend. Let me give you this yeah. rock. Yeah. Oh, no. I don't know how that Poor happened. Linda. What happened to Linda? After receiving the rock, all kinds of things went wrong in Linda's life. Horrible migraines that she didn't have before. She got hepatitis three times and she was in a five car crash. Oh, my gosh. So now you're officially being like, OK, it has to be the rock. Get this. In the winter, her house would be infested with bees. What? Then I kind of remind you, it reminds me of Amityville Horror with the flies. The flies. Mm-hmm. Do you remember my old house? There was that one room, the one, oh, you the guest room where you stayed, that, <laughs> that was always had flies in the window. I was constantly yeah. cleaning out tons and tons of flies yeah. from windows. In the bathroom. Still. Yeah. I, hate, I hated that. I hated that. I always got bad feelings in that room. Oh, I, I'd rather stay I in keep... that room than downstairs. <laughs> 
there was something in that house. There I don't was something know, in that I house. I don't know why, but there yeah. was. And I keep making this all about me. Go on. <laughs> okay. Her good friend, Maria Miller, as she had this rock, her good friend, Maria Miller, was diagnosed with cancer after she took a picture of the rock. So her good friend took a picture of the rock. Then she was diagnosed with cancer. Okay. Circumstance. And then two years to the day that Linda got the rock from Gilbert, Miller She kept died. it for two years? So yeah. after that, she still kept it? Well, maybe it, I don't now, know. This is making sense if it's one family and now another. So okay, so two years after two she years rock, who dies? To the date that she got that rock, Miller, her good friend with cancer, died to the okay. day. Ugh. So it's weird. Linda got rid of the rock yeah. and says she has had no problem since. Who would she give the rock to? Just as Trudy and Gilbert have also stated what that. What did she do with the rock? <laughs> Is it just out there for more people to find? No. The rock next went to Evelyn Paglini, a parapsychologist. She oh, wanted okay. it. Okay. She wanted it. Okay. I was like, another friend? They're just like, here you go. Your turn. <laughs> it's like the traveling pants, but totally bass backwards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, so I think she asked for it, but she also had strange things happen in her life, but she never kind of really disclosed that to anybody. I could never see what. (laughs) She did figure out that the infinity sign and the snake on the rock were symbols of the struggle between good and evil. The meaning of the raised diamonds and squares remains a mystery, even to this day. Her assistant, Linda Herakic, one night saw two red floating eyes near the Ooh. stone, the rock. Sorry. Looking closer, she saw what looked like a baby with red eyes leaning against the stone. I'm sorry. <laughs> so scary. I'm just thinking of this baby going, so what are you doing? That's what I picture. Do you remember that video that was going crazy years ago? Like the dancing baby in the diaper. It was all over the internet. Like that's the kind of baby I'm picturing. Just like. She was filled with uncontrollable rage, which dissipated when she left the room. A professional photographer took pictures of the rock. Why? Has nobody learned their stinking lesson yet about this rock? I don't, you know, it's sort of. The person who took a picture last time got cancer. Yeah, well, the person that took pictures of it this time, two days later at midnight, her house burnt to the ground for no unknown reason. For no unknown reason. (laughs) For no unknown reason. Cross that, that no. Just... Hey, edit that no out there. <laughs> she was not injured. It is unclear as to where the rock is now. Thank God she wasn't injured. Well, she, she just took a dang picture of it. No one Gosh, knows where it. the rock is right now. So just saying, watch out for There's... this terracotta <laughs> rock. It's floating Wait. around somewhere. Wait, I missed it because I was still thinking of no unknown. The rock's just out there. Mm-hmm. But how do you get rid of that kind of a thing? Because like a Ouija board, you're not supposed to burn it or anything like that. You're how do you to... burn a rock anyway? <laughs> well, I mean like crash it, like cr- crush it. Crash it. <laughs> crash it over somebody's head. No, oh. crush it. Like, you know, stomp on it. Break it. <laughs> throw it. Throw it in a river. Like the Jumanji board. I don't know, but if you it like if you bury it or throw it in a river, it might just reemerge later. Somebody I might know. go scuba so diving and go, gonna... "Oh, this is cool." So you etch into it. Leave me alone. <laughs> Leave me here. Do not touch. Do not touch. People really follow directions nowadays. 
that would be all the more reason for them to grab it. Oh, I totally yeah. need this in my garden. <laughs> Leave me alone. Perfect. Put it right by the front door. Okay. I'm moving on to my second story. Oh, you have a second story. Okay. Yes. Okay. Think, think, think. The 1969 classic Rosemary's Baby. Got have it. you ever seen it? Yes. I had to watch it in films class. Okay. My mother made me watch it. She loved it. She would. <laughs> she would. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mom. The Jane Adams Hull House, that's Hull, H U L L, mm-hmm. House Museum at the University of Illinois at Chicago is the oldest building in the center part of the city. The Victorian Mansion, so it's it's a mansion, okay? It's a Victorian mansion and it dates back way back. So I'm going to go to the history of this place. Got it. All right. The Victorian mansion was built in 1856 for Charles J. Hull and his family. He only lived in the mansion for four years, during which time his wife and two sons died. And he is like, not staying here anymore. I don't care if there's a rock or not. (laughs) I'm grabbing my daughter and we're hightailing it to another mansion across town. That's what they did. (laughs) In 1889, the Hull mansion was purchased by Jane Adams and Ellen Gates. They converted the mansion into Chicago's first settlement house. Now, I didn't know what a settlement house was. Do you? No. I was hoping per- you were going to explain that to me. <laughs> well, I'm just going to act like I know what that is. <laughs> yeah. The purpose of a settlement house is to bring the poor and the rich of a city together in a social way. That'll make more sense when you hear what they converted this mansion to. They started converting the mansion, expanding it to a 13-building complex taking up close to a whole city block. The structure had a gym, theater, art gallery, music school, auditorium, cafeteria, post office, libraries, just to name a few, so that it brings people from all sections of life together to join in in this community kind of community center. Yeah, that's what I was just going to ask. Is it a community, like a community? That's what it's, yeah. Every day, thousands of people would visit and use the facility. It became known as the best settlement house in the U.S. Going back to the Hull House, the Hull Mansion. Long before Adams moved into the mansion, it was thought to be haunted. Adams, who did not believe in ghosts, admits in several of her books that she named a room, quote, the haunted bedroom. She slept in that room for only a short time. Reason being that often she would be awakened in the middle of the night, and as she as she opened her eyes, there was there was a baby. No, there was a woman (laughs) hovering over her. Oh no, no, thank you. She would also hear conversations from disembodied voices, but only in that bedroom. She moved to another room. This reminds me of the rock moving to a friend because what she did is converted that bedroom into the guest room. <laughs> Come stay at my house. I'd love for you to visit me in Chicago, but beware of the woman that's going to dangle on top of you while you sleep. It's like, I don't know whether I don't have another room for my guests, so I'm going to make this a guest room. And Isn't it a mansion? Hope, Isn't hope there that... like tons of freaking rooms? <laughs> Or maybe it was an experiment. You keep saying the goal mansion, right? The goal. hole. Hole. Listen <laughs> up. Goal. I don't know where that mansion is. <laughs> the whole mansion. I, yeah, it is a mansion. So, so there's got to be other rooms, right? Or maybe she was just using it as an experiment. That's Let's see. a mean experiment. 
You're <laughs> right. It is like, here, take this rock. I'd love for you to see what happens. <laughs> or maybe she just had a really dark sense of humor. That's sick. Ah, but her guests did complain. Of About a woman hanging over them? In the middle of the night and a woman That's... hovering over them. That's now, not I'm, even like I'm a I'm small... I'm thinking like this, this woman just kind of... <laughs> I know. That's not even like a small haunting. Them. Like, that's like... A full apparition. That's like a scary movie right. kind of haunting. Over your head. Yeah. So did she give them a new room? <laughs> well, she made that room then a storage area. Good. That's what it but, probably should have become so the woman's right away. Just hovering over boxes, I guess. <laughs> now, I did in one resource say that people that lived there before in the mansion had put buckets of water every night in front of the door of that in front of that door what did that so do? that <laughs> the spirits <laughs> couldn't, couldn't step over it i guess spirits she's spirits dangling already from the ceiling walk on water I don't, I don't she's already know. dangling from the ceiling so she's not dangling don't make it sound like she's She's like a puppet. dangling. She's, <laughs> like a puppet. she's like flying over. Think of I know, Superman. But she obviously doesn't need to walk to get anywhere. <laughs> okay. Did the buckets work? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Now back to Rosemary's baby because, you know, I told you think of that and this has nothing to do <laughs> <I> with would... it. <laughs> the story goes that in 1913, a severely deformed baby was left on the doorstep of the mansion. Adam Adams took the helpless baby in, and then mass hysteria broke out, not only in the building, but in surrounding neighborhoods, because everybody heard about this deformed baby. People would come at all hours, wanting to pay her to see this baby. Oh my God, it's making me so sad. And they were calling it the devil baby, because it was so deformed. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. Yeah. It came to the point where she was turning down bus loads of people. People are sick. They need a life. She never let anyone see the baby who only lived for like three or four months. Oh, my goodness. So you might ask, where did this child come from? Is that the woman dangling over the ceiling? Is she looking for her baby? No, that woman's long dead. One story. Because yeah, she's a ghost. Well, her baby died after her. Oh, so the woman who woke up with the... Okay, 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 okay. The woman who woke up with the woman on top of her who gave this room Adams. to her guests. Adam. She received the baby. Correct, though. I gotcha. Okay. I'm following. One story is that of a very devout Catholic woman who was married to an atheist. One day when he was at work, she hung a big poster of the Virgin Mary on their wall. As the husband... Does. That's one does when one is a devout Catholic. Sorry, I am a devout Catholic. I have no big poster of the Virgin, so I'm just saying. Um, husband came home from work and tore the poster, ripped it into several shreds and said, oh, I'd rather have the devil's baby than have that picture on the wall. If you're an atheist, you don't believe in God. Do you believe in the devil? I don't know, but nine months later. Dun, 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 dun. I don't like that story. Next. <laughs> Some say the baby had red scaly skin, puff feet, and horns. Others claim that the baby came out with a full head of hair, smoking a cigar, and cussing in three languages. 
<laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what to the believe. visuals <laughs> from this episode are not That's the unknown. That's my drink. <laughs> the devil <laughs> and disguise. <laughs> yes. Oh boy. Is there is there more? No. Oh, <laughs> great. So I really wanted... don't know where this baby came from. No, or if there even was a baby. Well, she's turning away busloads of people. I'm sure there really was a baby. That's quite. Or is a, is that sensationalized? Man, news? you Chicagoans, Chicagoans, <laughs> Chicagans, you in Chicago, you <laughs> you make up quite the tales. Oh my! Yeah, I, I see this little gangster baby coming out. The cigar. <laughs> okay. Visual over. Wow. I love these legends. I absolutely love them. I didn't realize how much until we start doing the re They're start pretty doing great. This. They're pretty good. They are. <laughs> All right. All right. That's episode 132. I hope everybody is having a good winter. The groundhog saw his shadow, so six more weeks. <laughs> Uh, all the resources from this episode are going to be on our website, website. killerhangoverpodcast.com. Yeah. Follow hey. us on social media. If you're watching us on YouTube, do let the youtube things. Subscribe. And let us know what you think. Leave a comment. Say hey. Oh, yeah. Do the youtube things. Please subscribe to our channel. <laughs> I was trying to go with something clever, and I just can't. Oh, sorry. Uh, what else do I say at the end of episodes? Join us on Patreon. We so we come yes. out with episodes to the public every other week, but we come out with episodes to fill in those gap those gap weeks on Patreon. So join us there. It's five dollars a month, and it buys us our cocktail. Yeah, every episode, and, and we've got two new patrons this we last do. month. So awesome! Welcome, congratulations, and welcome to our little family. We still don't have a name for our followers. But yeah, okay. we'll come up with it. We'll come the up over, with something. The ovaries just didn't sound good. I said hangoveries. I've never called our listeners ovaries. Our hangoveries. Well, really, might as well just say ovaries. <laughs> and with that, we're going to end this episode. <laughs> uh, Mom will be covering the true crime and I will be covering the paranormal or the legend or whatever. Do you remember what state we're covering next? California. California. That's right. Why do you say it like that? Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, nice chatting with you. Cheers, Mama. Cheers. I love you, kid. <laughs>